Welcome to the We Raise the Stars and Stripes Over Japan podcast. My name is Mark Stephen Schwartz, and it is both an honor and a privilege for me to read the diaries from Allied and American civilian prisoners of war interned in and around Kobe, Japan during the Great Pacific War, World War II. This is episode number 35. January 8, 1943. Charles F. Gregg. Dick Arvidson turned worse today, and since Dr. Sudo had diagnosed the case as possible appendix yesterday, we made arrangements for Dick's transfer to the hospital. Left house at noon, and Dick was on the operating table at 2 p.m. I witnessed the operation, which was complicated by adhesions and a buried intestine. Operation over at 2.45, and Dick came to at 3.45. Operation successful. Roy Henning. With burning glass, put my name on a toolbox. Take bath and wash hair in cold water. Reading Nightlife of the Gods. January 9th, 1943. Roy Henning. Put Kobe, Japan on toolbox. Shellac the letters. Pitch ball with hands, can throw left hand fairly now. January 10th, 1943. Charles F. Gregg. Grant Wells saw Dr. Sudo today while out at Oculist, and Arvidson is progressing nicely. Oppenborn not so good. Brinkerhoff, motivated by locals, put part of a roll of toilet paper for use on police only, on breakfast plate of local Eurasian British subject Moorson, who has been waiting on police ostensibly. Results, investigation, confession of joint responsibility by all except downing, and grilling. Committee approved results. Harold Brinkerhoff. It seems everything happens to me on the 10th. Captured on the 10th, Left Guam on the 10th, arrived at Canadian Academy on the 10th. Now something a little more serious has happened to me on the 10th. There is a fellow here by the name of Moore. In my estimation and the estimation of all but two or three, he's a very poor specimen of a human being. He is an apple-polishing, ass-kissing, tail-carrying, good-for-nothing. He waits on the police and is always fussing around them cleaning their rooms, shining their shoes, etc. After roll call last night, a group of us were standing around talking. Someone said Moore was down in the basement, cleaning the bathtub for the police to have their baths. Someone made the remark that the next thing he would be doing would be attend attendance at the Benjo, the toilet, and wipe them. Someone else stated we ought to contribute some toilet paper for the job. I had a roll of toilet paper I brought from Guam. When I got to our room, I searched out the roll of toilet paper and a red pencil. I printed on the paper, for use of the police only. Someone in the room suggested for use on the police only would be better. The note was rewritten to read, for use on the police only. The next morning, before anyone was about in the dining room, I slipped down and put the note on Moore's bread plate. 
I had shown the note to one of the committee men in the bathroom. He said, good for you, Harold. At breakfast time, several people read it and snickered about it. Moore was late coming to his table. When he saw the toilet paper, he looked around to see if anyone was watching. He picked it up and read the inscription. Then, taking plate and all, he went to Cliff Price's table, plunking the plate in front of Cliff, and indignantly asked why this was on his plate. Cliff innocently asked him what it was. Moore knew Cliff had no use for him, so he thought Cliff had been the one responsible. Cliff looked the note over. Moore said he was going to take it to the police. Cliff told him to go ahead, but he would be the one to suffer. Moore went to the police. Most of the men had wives or relatives on the outside who made regular visits. They brought extra food, clean laundry, and were allowed to visit. The first time visitors came from Menkai, the visits, they were turned away without an explanation. The House Committee was called in and was t told to produce the culprit. Until this was done, there would be no more Menkais. The committee met in their room, and all the men brought in two by two. They knew who the culprit was, but used the questioning to find out how, ma how many were in favor of a showdown about more. Face in the Japanese is very important. Foreigners must at all times keep face. An Englishman would rather be found dead than appear in public without his coat on, no matter how hot and sultry the day might be. None of them would think of waiting on the police, as this was the work of menials and below their dignity. This was why they were so against Moore waiting on the police, because it lost face in the eyes of the Japanese for all Englishmen and other European nationals. When the committee got the support of enough men who were in sympathy, which they were sure to get, they would call a meeting and then get the police in. The five committee men would stand up and ask for a standing vote of those in sympathy with the movement against Moore. They were sure of 40 or 50. This, they felt, would assure the police it was a united movement and not just a minority. I went to the committee with Bob Vaughn and Thomas. I told them I was sorry to cause them the loss of their menkais, and that I was willing to admit my guilt and take my punishment. They complimented me and said they were glad of the opportunity of bringing this to a head with the Kensho, the police department. They had complained to the head police of the camp on several occasions, but had gotten no place. Now they had an excuse to carry it higher. They were willing to forgive go their menkais if this could be accomplished, and they felt they had the support of the majority. Moore, on two other occasions, had carried tales to the police about other internees. He had been responsible for a Guam group getting a good dressing down. We had news of the first battle of Wake from one of our countrymen, who had been left at Zinsushi at our departure. He was brought to the Marks house. The news had to do with how many Japs had been killed. Moore had overheard the conversation and had carried it to the police. We were told that anyone repeating such things in the future would be severely punished. The committee asked me not to admit anything for the present. They and the Americans in my room were the only ones 
were aware of the one responsible for the note. For several things, for several days, everything was quiet. Then, circulating among the men, I began to hear grumbling about not being able to see their families and get food and clean clothes in. I felt bad as many of them had been good to me. I went back to the committee and told them how I felt and told them I thought we ought to tell the police. Greg called me to our room and said he had told the committee that he, Vaughn, Thomas, Wells, Durham, Houston, and Conklin had been equally responsible. The committee decided to resign as a gesture to let the police know they felt they did not have their confidence. They placed a notice on the bulletin board which read, The House Committee is undersigned tender their resignation as they feel they do not enjoy the confidence of the police officials and that they wholeheartedly concur in the act that occurred here recently. F.E. Downs, D. Hatter, H.C. Price, H.J. Mason, and S.A. Pardon. The next morning, the ex-committee agreed that I confess. I was taken to the police office. Maida, the head police, and several officers were there. Mr. Toms, a half-Japanese and half-English, but actually all Japanese, was the interpreter. He was not liked by the rest of us, for his pro-Japanese attitude. Before the war was over, he was given Japanese citizenship and released. Maida had me to my room and get the red pencil I had written the note with. On returning, he tore off the message and handed me the roll of toilet paper, instructing me to write what was on the original note. I proceeded to write, for use of the police only. Maida took the new note and compared it with the original. He noted in the original two words were underlined. He handed me back the note, and I underlined of and only. They noticed I had used of instead of on in the second note. I printed two styles of letters, and in the second note some of these did not correspond to the original. They shook their head and had doubts that I had written the note. They thought I was just covering for one of the locals. I became angry at this point and told Toms to tell the guards I had written the note, so let's finish it up and I would take my punishment. Just at this point, Greg and the rest of the men in my room came in. They had become worried because I had been in the police office for so long. Maida asked Greg in what spirit the note had been written, and Greg answered it had been a joke. He went into a lengthy discourse on how in America, a man who acted as Moorhead would be curring favor and would be called an apple polisher, or in stronger words, an ass kisser. I interjected ass wiper. Greg took this up and explained that this was why the toilet paper had been used to write the note. This upset the police that we would think they were giving Moore any special favors. They emphatically denied giving Moore any special favors or would give him any. The police pulled in their horns. They said they would meet later and decide what, would, what they would do about Moore. They said the affair would be forgotten if we would apologize to Mr. Moore. This, we said, we would not do. 
Maeda said, you can say you apologize, but you don't have to mean it. We told them Americans had to mean it or they don't say it. Maeda then said, the affair is closed and everything is this, as if it had never happened. So all is quiet on the Canadian Academy front. Roy Henning, Sunday, haircuts from Japanese barber, reading all quiet on the Western front, working on a key tag. January 11th, 1943, Roy Henning, hear many confirmations of our leaving on January 25th, seems too good to be true. Rain during the night, very cold. Make key tag, engrave name on it, lay out letters on box. January 12th, 1943, Harold Brinkerhoff. Last night, the weather hit a new low, minus 24 degrees Fahrenheit. We had to pile on all the covers and clothes we owned. We had some scuttlebutt from the Marks house. Well, at the Ken show, one of their guards was told we were leaving the last of the month. Roy Henning. Very, very cold. Temperature minus 4 degrees Celsius. 24.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Coldest day in Kobe in three years. Receive one brazier for the house. All fireplaces must be out. Only enough coal for the kitchen. Buy a pair of suspenders. Engrave plastic ring. Soapbox. January 13th, 1943. Charles F. Gregg. In bed with a painful head cold and sinus trouble until 1.30 p.m., when received call to go to the hospital. Fred Oppenborn operated on for appendicitis at 2 p.m. Spinal anesthetic used. Dr. Canico officiating. Excessive amount of fluid in abdominal cavity. Appendix approximately the size of a sausage wiener. Tender and inflamed. Fred withstood operation quite well in spite of poor physical condition. Critical period will be next 48 hours. Hope all goes well. Exchange talk is quite hot. People at Liberty are reputed to be selling furniture and excess clothing, which will be surrendered by the 20th of this month. Roy Henning, cold with no heat in the house. Inspection from police headquarters. See Jim Thomas from Canadian Academy. Type out Guam losses. Jim confirms our living in our living situation. January fourteenth, nineteen forty three, Harold Brinkerhoff. One year ago we had our first view of the shores of Nippon. I hope another year, nay another month, will not find us here. I am practicing piano every day. Several of the fellows are down with colds. So far, I have escaped with only a slight head cold. I forgot to mention, Arvidsson was operated on for appendicitis about a week ago. Oppenborn was sent to the hospital, supposedly for the flu. He was also operated on for appendicitis yesterday. Mr. Bill Hughes is to go to Dr. Cantor's to have some bone splinters removed from his right hand. When on Guam, Bill received several shrapnel wounds, one in his cheek, 
forehead, two in his neck, and one in his hand. I went to the doctor the other day. I pulled a muscle in my hip and caught cold in it. While there, I weighed myself. The Canadian Academy diet has been good for me. I am up to 165 pounds, the most I've ever weighed in my life. We had one of our one of my favorite vegetables last night, broccoli. Our vegetables are usually cabbage, daikon, and carrots, and not too many carrots. We get principally daikon, which tastes like turnips. Roy Henning. Finish burning Japanese characters on the box. Nice sunny forenoon. Study photography day and night. Pitch ball with Hans. Warm night. Wash clothes shave. January 15th, 1943. Charles F. Gregg. Mr. Gutnacht called to introduce his successor, Mr. Herzog, who will handle our affairs from now on. Gutnacht is being shifted to the Tokyo Swiss legation. News of the exchange, lots of wild rumors, but nothing official. Informal news that if there is an exchange, the Guam people will be given preference. Herzog to return the first part of next week with 100 yen for payment of winter clothes. Harold Brinkerhoff. The sky is overcast, but not so cold. Mason was around at the request of the police, asking our birth date and place of birth. Large sizes of, of shoes are difficult to come by. Penning, who wears size 10, is badly in need of shoes. The police try to have a pair made. The shoe man wanted 140 yen for the leather uppers and rubber soles. For all leather, 160 yen. Harold Arab gave me a silk scarf, and Pete Gassell gave me two nice pearls that will make nice earrings or sets for a ring. Roy Henning. Mild day and sunny. Engraved name tag for Don Wallace, soap box for Tiny Lukey, and ring for Bill Young. January 16, 1943. Roy Henning. Mess cooking. Beds and mattresses changed by Kensho. Some men go on work detail. January 17, 1943. Charles F. Gregg. My cold continues and a heavy sinus drainage from right nostril. Severe toothache developed this morning. Roy Henning. Sunday. Sunny day. Reading Time magazines, snowing lightly, play ball, medicine ball, and softball. January 18, 1943. Harold Brinkerhoff. Very little of interest. The Japanese are making an ideological drive to do away with everything British and American. All music and records are banned. People were asked to destroy them or turn them into the government. Today's paper says paper pulp is short in the U.S., so news will be limited to five days per week. Also an acute food shortage. But in Nippon, there is sufficient of everything. Every time I have been out, I have seen lines, many blocks long, of people waiting for food distributions. The locals here say we are faring better than the people outside. God pity those outside. 
The Jap press says Mr. Kaiser is listed as one of the most outstanding men in the United States because his yards completed a Liberty ship in less than five days. The outstanding men were listed, so say the Japanese, in Time magazine. They were, in order, Togo, Yamashita, Stalin. American and military American and British military commanders were rated very low. Charles F. Gregg, first of seven trips to the dentist in which he, one, removed gold inlay from upper right bicuspid, found and removed underlying decay, and replaced with new gold inlay. Two, x-rayed teeth for further trouble. Three, removed badly impacted third molar, wisdom tooth, upper right, which is possible cause of sinus trouble, and four, clean teeth, total bill, 92.5 yen. Pending developments and awaiting results of further x-ray, another impacted molar may have to be removed. Roy Henning, engrave ring for Neil Campbell, receive my Guam loss document. January 19, 1943. Roy Henning. Fill out papers for 100 yen from Swiss Consul. Engrave name tag and soapbox. Cut out and paste on paper letters on my suitcase. Shave. Dean Brutton makes good bread pudding. I make green pea soup for dinner. Makata rations are slim. January 20th, 1943. Charles F. Gregg. Two each Red Cross kits distributed. Roy Henning. Receive American and Canadian food kit. Trade my coffee for butter and sardines. Reading Time magazine and short stories 1936. January 21st, 1943. Roy Henning. Consul comes. Receive 100 yen. New assistant Consul Herzog. Tells how hard his conditions are. Has con his conditions are here. Group decides to present police with kit presents. Each man will give one kit. January twenty second, nineteen forty three. Charles F. Gregg. Herzog returned with one hundred yen. All rumors of exchange were unfounded. Nothing even being considered at present. Bill Hughes had operation on right hand and first finger removed. Big news is of Russian front where Germans are retreating from cow cows. Encircled at Stalingrad and being pushed towards Rostov as well as being pushed back on middle and northern fronts. Japanese diet postponed until 28th due to illness of Premier Tojo, perhaps also to hear what the biggest news since the war began report, supposed to be released from Washington on the 27th. Roy Henning, very mild weather, rather warm even. Play ball, bathe, wash hair, reading short stories. January 23, 1943, Max Brodowski. Today is exactly one year since we arrived in this house. This has been a monotonous existence, but we managed somehow to pass the time. Before this imprisonment, 
the expectation of a year in a house would be a tragic outlook. Time, however, passes quickly. A year ago, the weather was freezing cold. Today, real chilly but nice sunshine. We are used to the climate, and our Red Cross box food helps a lot. Roy Henning Anniversary One year ago, we came to Kobe. What a difference. Now we sit and study and read in an unheated room. Cold is bearable now. Buy vanilla. Discuss Voltage Booster with Dean Brunton. Learn much about them. Sunny, mild weather in the morning, windy afterwards. January 24th, 1943. Roy Henning. Sunday. Cold day. Tries to snow. Was scheduled to go shopping, but called off. Short stories of 1936 are very good. January 25th, 1943. Roy Henning. Very cold, no sunshine. Went up in the hills, a dozen men. Cut down trees for firewood. A lot of fun. Carry in logs, cut up in length. Make second trip. Sore all over now. Order pajamas from Katayama. January 26, 1943. Roy Henning. The Scuttlebutt about going home seems no good again. Go on shopping trip, buy many things, buy myself a 20 yen slide roll and 11 yen radio key. Hold my, had my first ride in a taxi. Wow. Supper doesn't come from Mikado. January 27th, 1943. Charles F. Gregg. Casablanca conference between Churchill and Roosevelt, together with all big military, air, and naval leaders. No full report received or published here, and only remark was in way of criticism. Roy Henning. Sunny day and windy. Engraving. Acquire a couple enunciator coils to make sounder from. January 28th. 1943. Charles F. Gregg. Tojo's speech to opening diet. Burma will be given independence within a year. Shipping construction being adequately planned and taken care of. No need to worry. However, since he is supposed to be ill, there were no interpolations. Speeches questioning actions and statements of the cabinet. Rumors of unrest among people concerning prosecution of war by cabinet, etc. Roy Henning. Cold day. Edward Bacon and Nick and Surtey learning code. Dean Brunton and I practice. Bryant Sterling makes a resonator box for the key. Works, works fabulously. Reading Rebecca. Very absorbing book. Fourteen men caught last night going over the fence were cracked over the head with kendo sticks. January 29, 1943. Roy Henning. Buy Don Wallace's mandolin for 15 yen. Goodbye. Telegraph key works okay. Dean Brunton can read clicks better than me. Slide rule study at night. Reviewing my trigonometry. Buy a pearl ring for 15 yen. 
January 30, 1943. Roy Henning. Very cold and windy. Gang pulls down old tree in the yard. Cuts up for firewood. Wash clothes. Bamboo club boys are taken for a run by Haraguchi. Reading guide to DEI book. Haircraft, haircut from Max Edward Maxim. January 31st, 1943. Harold Brinkerhoff. A beautiful day. It started to snow early and has been snowing all day. This evening there is three inches on the ground. It is five years since they had had snow like this in Kobe. It is not so very cold, 32 degrees Fahrenheit at the present writing. Charles F. Gregg, snowed from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., about eight inches. First real big snow, although it has flurried for an hour or so on about 20 different previous occasions this winter. Snowman built in playground, and of course a window broken by a snowball. Roy Henning, Sunday, beautiful snowstorm, about six inches falls. Please let us out in street. Throw snowballs at neighborhood kids. Mess cooking today. In street from 11 a.m. till 3 p.m. Make several acquaintances, more fun than I've had since Guam. Make the first ice cream in the house. Use Klim sugar, snow, vanilla, and also had chocolate. And this concludes episode 35 of the We Raise the Stars and Stripes Over Japan podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye now.